right, Senator. I mostly wanted to come to D.C. to play basketball with you, and apparently you play on Tuesdays. Today is Tuesday, and yet here we are, and I guess we're going to talk about politics. You know, it's a tragic missed opportunity. Next time we're going to hoop, and and as you know, we play old guys against young guys. Yeah, yeah. And so you would be firmly on the old guys. I'm on the old guys. As am I. Uh, What? What's the cutoff on the ages on that? So it's a whole bunch of Capitol Hill staffers and a few members. Yeah. Take a guess what you think the age cutoff typically is. <sighs> the age uh, for the young guys are probably going into like maybe like 28 would be on the high side. And then you guys are probably, That's not- you guys are probably all 35 plus. It's typically about 26. To- all right. I mean, you know, you've got a bunch of Hill staffers that are a couple of years out of college. A lot of them are college athletes. And so. It's, yeah, I'm 53, so yeah. I anchor the old yeah. guys to you solidly. Are you the oldest playing? You're the oldest playing, yeah. But you set a pick. You know how to set a pick. Well, and the thing is, consistently the old guys win. And there's actually a... Fundamentals. So the young guys are completely puzzled. You know, Trent, who's here, is one of the young guys he always yeah. plays. You know, look, the young guys, they're in better shape than we are. They can jump higher. They can run faster. They have more endurance. Yeah. And yeah, and a lot of them, like I said, were, you know, serious ball players, played college, often football or soccer, yep. occasionally hoops, but generally some other sport. And they're shocked. They're like, wait, how are these old farts beating us? And the reason is simple. As you know, the young guys, they play like horny puppy dogs. Yeah. They just, I'm sorry. It's a lot of dribbling. It's a lot of dribbling. You know, they've got a triple team. I got to go through the triple team. Yeah. Like the old guys, you know, look, I'm not going to outrun you. So I'm going to set a pick. If someone's driving, I'm going to help on defense. And, and you know, you, you, you do the fundamentals. You do a pick and roll. And, and you know, you play a little bit dirty. You know, your guy comes up for a rebound, <laughs> grab his shorts and pull him down. And suddenly he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You remember when you were a teenager, the old guys used to whip your ass? Yeah, and I do remember. Like, How is that possible? They know the fundamentals. It, it's exactly It that. involves a bounce pass and, and an elbow. It's, you know distributing the ball to the man under the hoop is, yeah. is a lot easier than just jacking up threes from Nebraska, yeah. which, which a lot of young guys lo- love to do too. Although you got a pretty decent jump shot too. It's Although, you know, when I started playing, it was before the three-pointer was really a big deal. Mm. So maddeningly, my jump shot is kind of 12 to 16 feet out, which is, you know, kind of sort of free throw extended. Right, right. Uh, which is reliable, but they also say it's the least it's, efficient it's uh, the shot in the game. So what do you do? I have no doubt that thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are tuning in to watch us talk about old men basketball. But let's shift to the issue of the day for at least two or three minutes, this this border. Look, I don't often get a chance to speak with a former NBA player. That- I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Ted Cruz. Um, And yet, here I am doing this. Who knows? Um, The border thing, let's just recap it real quick. I mean, I take it you're not into it. I saw one of your tweets this morning. I mean, it's not just that we have the laws in place to stop it if we wanted to stop it, but you tweeted about this non-contiguous thing. They can literally, it's 5,000 people coming from Mexico proper, but then if you're a Chinese national who walks through Mexico, you don't get counted. Look, this thing is a terrible deal. It is a bad bill. The good news is it's dead. It is dead. Stick a fork in it. It's, it's gone. Um, why was it a bad bill? It was a bad bill because Chuck Schumer wants open border. So he refused to agree to anything that actually fixes the problem. Look, I think it is tragic that we don't have a bill that we're going to pass that actually would secure the border because it is a 
catastrophe of unprecedented levels what's happening at the border. But this bill... Well, do you want a bill or would you just prefer that the president do his job? I mean, do you really want another bill? Yeah. So look, Joe Biden could fix this problem. He unilaterally cost. Yeah. When he came into office, he inherited the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. He deliberately broke it. Three decisions caused this crisis. He halted construction of the border wall. He reinstated catch and release, which is a disaster. And he ended Remain in Mexico, which was enormously successful. All three of those he did the first week he was in office. That caused this crisis. Joe Biden could fix it tomorrow by reversing those three decisions. He doesn't want to. He wants this invasion. Now, that being said, should we pass a good bill? Yes, the House has passed H.R. 2, which is a strong, real bill that would force Biden to secure the border. I've introduced H.R. 2 in the Senate. I would enthusiastically vote for H.R. 2 as something that would really tie Biden's hands. But Schumer started at the outset, said, nope, that's off the table because that actually secures the border. And we don't want to do that. And what do you make? I mean, this happens with everything, but that they jam in all of this other nonsense that has nothing to do with our border. Literally more money for Gaza, obviously Ukraine, a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Well, listen, Ukraine was the real leverage because Schumer desperately wants Ukraine funded. And so what Republicans did several months ago is we said, okay, we're not going to back more funding for Ukraine unless we do real border security. We're not going to secure Ukraine's border until we secure our own. And we held every Republican. All 49 Republicans were unified in that. The problem is, and this is a problem with Republican Senate leadership, is Mitch McConnell went into that negotiation and wasn't insisting on real border security. Mm -hmm. You essentially have a structural problem. Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer started off with two unshakable demands. Schumer's unshakable demand is he would not secure the border. He wants open borders because those illegals are future Democrat voters, and so he's not going to secure the border. Mitch came in saying we must get a deal because he wants Ukraine fucked. Mm -hmm. And so if Schumer is not going to secure the border and McConnell is saying we must get a deal, what do you end up with? You end up with a deal that doesn't secure the border. That's where we ended up. I think what we should have said is, We'll take a deal, but the deal must secure the border. So either Schumer, you get you give in or you don't get your fund. The fact that the deal is not going to happen. I mean, does that tell you that McConnell's power is waning, I suppose? I think he badly misread the situation. I think the plan was cut a deal with Schumer, get all the Senate Republicans on board and then use that to just attack and browbeat House Republicans. I mean, the crazy thing is it was Senate Republican leadership teaming up with Chuck right, Schumer right. to wage political war on House Republicans, which we do it a lot. And, and it's part of why this place is so messed up. Well, is that also the trickery here that it's a bipartisan bill? You guys are now going to reject it. It'll get worse. The, bo- the border situation likely gets worse now till the election and the media and the Dems will just turn around and Biden will turn around when he's cogent and say, well, they didn't sign the bipartisan deal. So, look, yes. And, and that's the point I made. Um, I made today at lunch. So we've had some really vigorous arguments at lunch for the past several weeks where every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Republican senators had lunch together and we slug it out. And I said, look, on substance, this is a bad bill. Why? Because it codifies Biden's open borders. Why? Because it puts into law catch and release. Catch and release is against the law. Mm-hmm. Well, this bill would put it in the U.S. law that we're doing catch and release. Why? Because it normalizes 1.8 million illegal immigrants a year 
That's about 6 million illegal immigrants over the last three years. What we've in fact had is 9.6 million. So the idiotic Republican position is we're for two thirds of the border invasion. Right. And only in D.C. would they come up with a law that says how many people are allowed to break the law. I mean, it's incredible, actually. Not only that, this this also gives immediate work permits to illegal immigrants. This gives lawyers paid for by the taxpayers to illegal immigrants. This gives billions of dollars to sanctuary cities and to, to NGOs, to nonprofits that are funneling illegals into America. So the Dems look at this and say, hey, let's fund all the people that are causing this crisis because they want to accelerate it. So the bill was a bad bill. And so I, I made the case, look, on policy, it's terrible. But on politics, it's even worse because Schumer is thrilled right now. Yeah. Because here's where Schumer is. The bill's not going to pass. So he gets to keep the full open border chaos he's got right now. But now every single Democrat, the Senate and House, they're all going to say, gosh, we tried. I wanted to secure the border. But the mean Republicans, they didn't. And so this this crisis is their fault. And I'll tell you, the problem is Republican leadership is out there saying this was a great bill. It was a terrible bill. And yet. Our own leadership has put us in a position where Schumer comes out with a win across the board. It, It is. As bad a case of political malpractice as I've ever seen. Have you ever seen a disconnect between the leadership and the base like this before? Because at least from what I'm seeing online, I don't see any support for it. And yet the leadership obviously is, is so for it. There's, there's long been a disconnect between leadership and the base. I mean, you want to know why Donald Trump got elected in 2016? Mitch McConnell and John Boehner played an enormous role. People were furious. Mm-hmm. People were ready to blow Washington up. <laughs> but one of those guys is still here. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> and, and it was, listen, electing Donald Trump in 2016 was a giant F you to Washington. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what drove it. And Republican leadership still doesn't realize that they, they're a big part of that revolution. All right, let's let's shift. For, you got anything else on the border? I don't want to prematurely. All right, you know, all right well, let's shift for a minute because you you had a really viral moment about a week ago at, at a hearing with Mark Zuckerberg, which I'm always fascinated by these hearings because you you guys drag out billionaires yeah. to to smack them over the head with the newspaper. Basically, it's kind of funny. We all kind of enjoy seeing them kind of get their comeuppance. Um, but you were actually dealing with a fairly serious issue with him related to what. Facebook and in this case, Instagram specifically do when it comes to child exploitation and everything else. Um, how much of when you're up there, are you realizing, oh, this is theatrics because I've, because not much will change after, right? You, you know, that the policies usually don't change, but that you might be able to sort of shift something culturally, something like that. Look, there is value. Cause you were fired up there. It's yeah. not, it's not necessarily your, your demeanor. So it was interesting moment. Yeah. L- listen, you have an opportunity in those hearings to do real cross-examination and cross-examination can elucidate facts. It, it can also make a point and it can make a point very effectively. And in terms of change, listen, cross-examination can change how an issue plays. I mean, we've had, you know, look, we had a hearing a couple of years ago in the Commerce Committee where Boeing, the 737 MAX, with two fatal crashes, killed 346 people. We had a hearing where the Boeing CEO came in imperious and arrogant. I tell you, I lit into that CEO. He resigned within weeks of that year. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it cost him his job because he did that badly. And his entire attitude towards the crisis, they were not owning the very serious mistakes they'd made that had caused 
346 people to lose, lose their lives. So a hearing can have a powerful impact with big tech. Listen, Zuckerberg and, and big tech's behavior, I think, is, is horrendous. And, and often Zuckerberg gets lucky because he has an even worse SOB now. <laughs> right, you know, right. Behind, right. You know, when, when Jack Dorsey was running Twitter, you know, Dorsey looked like a troll under a bridge and he yeah. was brazenly leftist. And, and, and Zuckerberg would be great because everyone would attack Dorsey and, and Zuckerberg would be spared. You know, now Zuckerberg wants everyone to attack TikTok. And look, TikTok, mm. there's a lot to be unhappy with about TikTok. But this hearing, look, this was a hearing on a, in particular child exploitation on social media. And the behavior of big tech has been terrible. And, and listen, as a parent, I mean, I've got two teenage girls. No. I don't know a parent who isn't terrified about the the portal to evil we put in the hands of our kids in these phones and the garbage that gets directed at them. And there there were dozens, if not a hundred plus parents in the hearing room who had lost their kids to cyberbullying and sexual ex- exploitation and suicide because the big tech platforms promote incredibly harmful content. So what I cross-examined Zuckerberg about is Instagram when people searched for child porn, when they wanted to see images, graphic sexual images of kids being horribly abused, Instagram would put up a warning screen. It's incredible. It's incredible. And says you're you are searching for explicit child porn. Do you want to get resources and get help, or do you want to proceed to the pictures anyway? No. And look, I mean, the question I asked Zuckerberg, I'm like, what the hell were you doing? Like. Who says, hey, you're looking for child porn. Want to see it? And then you show it to him? Well, I think you also ask him, did anyone get fired? And he didn't have an answer for that. That was the one that struck me as odd because it's like, all right, I get it's, it's a complex system and all of those things. But like, well, is anyone being fired if this stuff is up there? Well, I noticed the arrogance of it. So I asked him, how many times was this screen displayed? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, why don't you? Because last time you were here, I asked you at writing. You were free to answer. The reason you don't know is you don't want to answer that question. I asked him, how many times does someone click on, yeah, I want to see the pictures? You have a number mm-hmm. in your records. You won't tell the Senate and the American people. I said, what do you do when someone says, yes, give me the child porn? Do you turn them over to law enforcement? Do you arrest the pedophile? Do you go see if the kid who is in that image can be protected and saved? Just with complete imperiousness, refused to answer any. It's wild. <laughs> I mean, it, it is wild. Well, they're making money off of our kids. And and I think big tech could be doing much, much more to protect, especially kids. I, w- I want to end us with some silly stuff that my guys gave us. But let me ask you one other thing on that on, on the personal side, because you mentioned you have two teenage daughters. How do you deal with it as, as a parent? It's a very hard thing because for kids, their phones are their connection to their social network. I mean, they are, every one of their friends is on it. It's how all of the social interaction goes. So look, I wish I could destroy every phone in the world, but you don't want to isolate your kid. You don't want to destroy your kid's friendships. And so it's just, look, Heidi and I try to do the best we can to monitor it, to prevent bad stuff, but it is, the stats are frightening the number of kids who've been exposed to explicit to adults propositioning them online to to people targeting them for abuse and frankly when you and i were kids 
We didn't deal with that. that no. That didn't, like the world. You had a bully on the bus. That was it. That yeah, was it. That's the biggest thing you worried about. Yeah. Maybe you get a black eye and yeah. that'll heal. But now you really have to worry about like horrific things targeting our kids. And I'll tell you on top of that, you know, you worry about fentanyl, about your kid. Look, when I was in high school and you'd go to a party, some people would smoke pot. I smoked pot as a teenager. I've been a bit candid about that. And it's not a healthy thing to do, not a good thing to do. I tell my kids, don't do that. I'll plead the fifth. Um, but now it is much more frightening. Your kid can go to a party and smoke. Yeah. It's like, here, have a Xanax. And they take one pill and it's laced with fentanyl. They drop dead. I, I literally know someone that happened to about a month ago. It, it, it is... It is truly terrifying. I'll tell you one thing I did with both my girls. It's actually something the DEA just showed. He took a um, sweet and low package, tore it open, dumped it all out on the table so all of it's out. And then he says, stick your little finger just in the packet, pull it out. And you have a few little specks of residue on your finger. That's enough fentanyl to kill you. Jeez. And so I had both my girls do that. I just said, look, don't... Don't screw around. You may think it's it's harmless. They're giving you something and it's just, you know, look, people make mistakes. And yeah. with your kids, you you still want them to make a mistake that is deadly. And, and that is happening all over the country right now. I don't know exactly how to segue us out of that, but we're going to some silly stuff. Yeah, you said uh, the, yeah geez. And then we went right into the fentanyl death. Okay. MJ or LeBron? MJ entirely. Not I even do. close. And, and why? Well, six for six in championships and took out all of the best guys every year. And MJ, every game at the end of the game, you knew the ball was coming to him. And there's not a damn thing you could do about it. You could triple team him and it wouldn't matter. It, he, he was just extraordinary. Uh, I know that uh, you know that the one that hurt me the most was the 92 finals because my man Clyde the Glide lost, uh, which I'm going to give you the easiest question possible. And unfortunately, that's not the answer. Best rocket of all time. It's got to be a key. It's a game. It's a game. It's a game. He got his ring in '95 with us, and so I was at I was at Game Seven in '94 of the NBA Finals, yep. Rockets against the Knicks. It yep. was insane. Um, and it's uh, those back to back. And don't you have a you have a ball or a plaque from the '95 team? I think so in your I, office I, or something. I right? have a, a plaque from what it is. Is it's a piece of the floor? Oh right, the summit. Uh, the, the summit. Yeah, yeah. In the Toyota Center, so they turn the sun. The summit is now a giant church. Uh, it's Lakewood Church, yeah. and so they took the floor, floor, and so I have a little piece of the floor, and it's autographed by the Rockets. Ah, it's, it's it's pretty damn. That's awesome. All right, who is funnier, Jimmy Kimmel or Stephen Colbert? It's an almost impossible question. It's like what, you know, <laughs> Ebola or bubonic plague. Um, look, Kimmel used to be funny, and he got broke. Yeah. Colbert was always a vicious little leftist. No. So Kimmel is probably funnier, but he's killed. You know, it's actually one of the big, big differences. So as you know, my latest book uh, is called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. And I talk about it and, and I talk about all the different institutions that have been captured by the radical left. And in, in the chapter that I talk about entertainment, I point out that when I first got to the Senate 12 years ago, it was a regular part of politics going on late night shows. So, I mean, so I've done, I've done Kimmel, I've done Colbert, yeah. I've done Jane Leno, you know, and that used to be part of it. None of them had Republicans on anymore because they've gotten so 
weaponized. And, mm-hmm. and the problem is they're just not funny anymore. I mean, Kimmel routinely will just stand up. They all stand up and basically scream, I hate Donald Trump. And we're like, okay, we got that. <laughs> we know. Funny, funny. Um, yeah. But it's, as you know, Kimmel and I played one-on-one basketball in, in 2018. And it was horrible basketball. We'll put a little B-roll up. The people can see it again. But but I will say, actually, the ESPN broadcaster yeah. said at the time, he said, if Dr. Naismith had seen what happened here, <laughs> he would have been but I have a video of highlights because I won. I yeah. Can't. Oh, yeah. And I have a video of highlights of me just scoring on him and blocking him. And, and every time, ever since then, I live rent-free in his head. And and he routinely, like every month, he'll go on and, and just do attack me on his, on, a, on his show. And whenever he does. You just put I, the video. Gone, yeah, but I whipped your ass at hoops. And I, I know. You put the video up again. All right. We're, they're giving me the signal. So two or three more real quick. Better interviewer, Bill Maher or Dave Rubin? Ooh, tough question. I'm going to go with a tie, which is a lot. Maury's actually a good interviewer. I know I'm supposed to do the ask yes he wants, but, <laughs> but I just did. Mar- no, no, I know, I know, I know. Was, well, because you you impressed him and it was obvious. And, and then he started coming around in the middle of that. Look, yeah. You are less biased than he yeah. is, but it is unusual because Mar is a, a genuine liberal that will actually have people for both sides of the aisle on and have a conversation with them. And so... I accept it. I accept it. All right. Two more. The last one is very bizarre. Uh, the next one. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Pretty often. <laughs> I, so I read online, what is it, guys? Think about it like every hour. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are you people doing? Really? Like, well, I, I don't get that. You have a full-time job. That's I, the thing. Most of these people don't have work. Uh, you know, I, I, I think about Star Wars a lot more often that, than the Roman Empire. Uh, so I have geeky things, but like, you know, Winnie Winnie Wiki and crossing the Rubicon is not front and center in my my mind. All right, and then this this one, which I did not know about, but uh, my team is telling me that at one time you went on a date with Cory Booker. Is that true? Uh, it is not, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Did you take Cory Booker so, out to dinner so once? We had dinner. Okay, I, <laughs> yes, I had dinner with Cory Booker. I just, wouldn't call it date. Oh, all right. I, I'm just reading what's on the paper here. Corey's actually a friend. Yeah. And, and it's, we get along well. Um, this could have went sideways real quick. Look, it, it was, an, and I will say, like, it, we, we've had dinner together in D.C. and people, like, freaked out. They're like, my God, you're talking to each other. Right. And Corey and I, like, we routinely give each other grief in 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 hearings, but, but good-natured grief. And, and it's... Uh, all right, so I actually told Corey something. I, I said I had a theory on on why you didn't uh, you didn't catch traction when you ran for president, and I said the problem is you're not an asshole. And <laughs> we also ran ran Newark into the ground. But but I told Corey, I said I think you believe in order to run for president as a Democrat, you must be an asshole. Uh. So you pretended to be. And it was really inauthentic. Do you remember his Spartacus moment? Yeah, Spartacus, yeah, yeah. hear me roar. Yeah, nice. It just wasn't, look, Corey is a genuinely nice guy. Now, he votes very liberal. I disagree with him on a lot of policy issues, but he's, among Senate Democrats, he's, he's easily one of the ones I get along with the best. And I think it was mm-hmm. inauthentic when he pre- pretended not to be. So to be clear, you did not go on a date with Cory Booker, but you had dinner with Cory Booker and you encouraged him to be a better politician. I'll tell you what I also encouraged him and I begged him on this. So Cory Booker, I met him when he was mayor of Newark. 
And he was really courageous at the time on school choice. He was one of the few Democrats in the country who actually was vocal for school choice. And I was, I've been active in the school choice movement for 30 years. And so we met, when we met him, it was long before either of us were in the Senate. And I was like, all right, this guy's got guts because he's taking on, I think, the most important civil rights issue of this century. Well, what's happened since he's gotten to the Senate is he's a bad choice. And it, it's... And, I, and I've tried to convince them. I said, Corey, I want the old Cory Booker back. I want the one that saw this was right. And listen, I think it's just in today's Democrat Party, the teachers unions control the checkbooks. But it is. Uh, it was glorious when then, when he was willing to be vocal on school choice, but that was a long time. All right. All right. We have to end sillier than that. I'll give you an easy one as a Texan who thought that their red bike was stolen and left in the basement of the Alamo. I have no. Oh, really? I have no idea. What oh, Pee Wee Herman. I thought I, that felt like a very easy Ted Cruz reference. Okay, uh, favorite Simpsons moment, and then you're free. Oh, favorite Simpsons moments. Um, there are lots of them, but there's of course Kodos and Kang <laughs> when they're both campaigning for president. <laughs> Uh, go ahead, throw your vote away. And they go upwards, not downwards, forwards, not backwards, and, and twirling, twirling to the future. <laughs> and then also continue twirling, my friend. There is the T-shirt. Don't blame, don't blame don't, me. I'm I voted for. Gang. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.